Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder and chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I am your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to be here. Yeah, well, it's great to have you back here. And uh, Taylor, I'm really excited about our podcast today. Taylor, it is difficult to attend any event of significance in Atlanta where you don't see a cart for the King of Pops, those delicious fruit uh, popsicles. And our guest tonight for the Small Business Matters podcast is the co-founder of King of Pops, Nick Carsey, who with his brother Stephen started King of Pops in 2010. And they not only own that business, but several other related businesses. Prior to co-founding that business, Nick was uh, in the insurance business with AIG. Before that, he was the assistant solicitor general for Gwinnett County. He has his law degree from Georgia State University, undergraduate degree from University of Georgia. I first met Nick when he was a participant in the GrowSmart program, which is sponsored by the University of Georgia and the Small Business Development Center. And in his free time, uh, Nick is an avid surfer. Please join me in welcoming our guest this afternoon, Nick Carsey. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Um, Excited to be here. So we always start off with the first question, and that question is, Nick, what is it that you do that matters to small business? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And what I think that we do as King of Pops that matters to small business is just showing um, others, entrepreneurs or to-be entrepreneurs, that they can do it. Um, Starting off with a simple idea like Popsicles and being able to have a now 11-year-old company doing it is pretty amazing. And I think we, we took a time in the economy in 2010 when we started a downturn to start something that we had no idea about, but kind of made women aid out of lemons, if you will. Only uh, we put it in frozen form and turned it into popsicles. So I think it's a simple idea. And I think it just makes it feel more attainable than a lot of other types of entrepreneurs out there. If you're in tech or um, the medical field or even education or large industry, like some of those things don't feel attainable to, to small businesses or to new entrepreneurs. So something like us just shows that that it's possible for you to, to make it. Nick, we were just chatting before we started recording about how you, you moved around a bit through the Midwest and even parts of the South before selling in Atlanta. I'm curious, how did you get to where you are today um, as, the, as the king of pops, so to speak? Oh, wow. So yeah, it's been quite a journey, as I'm sure every um, entrepreneur has, but uh, mine's probably no different in a lot of ways, but also has its has its twists and turns. So I guess going back to um, just getting to Atlanta, my dad worked for Hormel for his whole career. So he was in the food business selling meat throughout the, the country. And uh, we ended up here. And by the time we got here, my mom decided she didn't want to move anymore with uh, three boys that were soon to be in high school. And um, so we remained in Georgia, um, went to University of Georgia for MIS, which is information systems, got a job with AIG fresh out of school doing database work and correlations and insurance ratings and things like that. Decided after a few years that that was not as interesting as I had hoped and went to law school. So I went to law school at Georgia State, 
with the hopes of helping creatives with copyrights and trademarks and light IP type of work. And when I graduated in 2008 from law school, we were having a bit of an economic downturn. The boutique, so to speak, law practice that I was seeking was not the most needed at the time, and people were not spending money on those things. So I got a job as a prosecutor in Gwinnett County, which is a suburb of Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and I prosecuted misdemeanors as a um, solicitor for the the county for uh, about three years. So I was in front of the juries, you know, every day and putting people in jail. And um, during that time, my younger brother, who's the uh, the other co-founder, I guess, got laid off from his job at AIG. So I had passed the torch when I left AIG on to him. He kind of got my job, or at least I got him an interview. And um, he got laid off with kind of the whole financial crisis as well. So he was sleeping on my couch and wondering what the next step was for for him. And he was interviewing and you know going through the rigmarole of, of corporate uh, next steps, I guess. And, you know, we had been inspired by trips to Central America with our older brother, who's now a an anthropology professor at Vanderbilt. He had done a lot of work in Panama uh, around ecology and anthropology in the Panama Canal, the movement of water. But anyway, uh, traveling through Central America, fell in love with the Mexican paletas. Food trucks were becoming popular in the United States. So got back to Atlanta and, you know, I guess he decided rather than anything to, t- to make a go out of it. So maybe $5,000 in the bank account, bought a popsicle freezing machine, a couple of used carts on Craigslist from a guy in Houston and started a business. So after he had done that, that was April uh, 1st of 2010. I was helping nights and weekends to just kind of pass the time and have a little bit of fun and help out my brother, of course. I decided to quit my law job and join him full-time, and we've been partners ever since. So have been working together side-by-side side for 10-plus years now and have been through all kinds of adventures, ups and, ups and downs, sides and sides, and um, successes and failures, and it's been a lot of fun. Nick, that's, I always love asking that question of entrepreneurs because every, every entrepreneur has a different story, and that's, that's a great story. So help us understand where was the company prior to COVID, kind of what, what the stat, you know, size and status and reach and such, and then what was the impact of COVID on the business? Right. Yeah. So COVID had a really big impact on us, and I mean, we're again trying to make the the lemonade popsicles out of the out of the lemons here. But you know, starting last March, we just like everybody else, kind of froze and didn't really know what was coming. You know, we told everybody to stay home for a while. And the biggest impact on us is we were a very event-based business. And so our typical way of selling is taking push carts to events. So whether it's a music festival, a farmer's market, a food truck festival, even to offices or weddings or birthday parties, like none of those things really happened last year. And so we didn't know what the future was going to be. So we took a step back, thought about it. Fortunately, we did get PPP money and we're able to keep our people on for a while to help us. But, you know, in 2019, we had a force of 350 or 400 employees, you know, most of those being out on the streets at carts or um, in parks or whatever. And with COVID, that was just, you know, both 
not necessary and probably not the right business going forward. So we had been toying with the idea of kind of a franchise or an authorized reseller or something like that. And what we came up with was the neighborhood uh, partner program. So King of Pops neighborhood partners are cartrepreneurs in their communities who are uh, representing us. And so we train them, we tell them all about the product, how to sell it, where they can be successful. And, you know, they are able to go deeper into their communities because they live there, they know their neighbors, and they know what's going on. So we've gone from kind of a bigger admin-heavy, people-heavy operation while where we were the owner, corporate owner of all the stores and all the carts and all the sales to where that's more spread out amongst these neighborhood partners. As far as the business model, I think it could make sense or hopefully it does make sense uh, as a more scalable business where we can you know, uh, spread out both territory-wise and go deeper into the communities like I had mentioned. And then you know, the other part about it is it takes a little bit of risk off of us because we aren't investing in all that infrastructure, in the people, in the, I don't know, the insurance, all the, all the admin, I guess, associated with having a really large organization. And so we're dipping our toe into that pond and hopefully we'll continue to figure it out. But we have about 40 neighborhood partners right now. And we're looking to continue to grow that throughout the region and then potentially throughout the country. So Nick, when you talk about training your neighborhood partners, Tell us a little bit about that process because I know it's a big shift from having employees that you know you're you're training as an employee to do certain tasks to where, as you said, you have people that are now invested in their own success in the business. At the same time, you probably don't want to to lose touch with the brand or um, and want to create you know, some sort of control over that. So, just what does that look like? Yeah, so we've um, done a lot of work. We use EOS as our operating system. So that's the entrepreneurial operating system founded, uh, I don't know, or based on Traction, which is a book by, by Gina Wickman. And so we use that process and have gone deep into what our vision is and kind of our purpose and our core values and all of those things. And so we teach those the same as we would with our employees. Our purpose is quite simply to create unexpected moments of happiness And um, we start to instill that in our partners, the same as we would in our employees from day one. We also talk about our core values um, and how they can tie into everyday life, your success as a neighborhood partner, and your success with uh, selling pops on the cart, all those things. And I guess the difference, which is what your question is, I'm not sure that we have found what the biggest difference is yet. I think that there's certainly a mix of caring about you know, like you mentioned, if there's personal investment in it, so there is a, a fee to get started, and then they're renting the carts and the equipment from us, they're purchasing the product to resell, versus an employee is getting paid by the hour and makes tips and that kind of thing. It's just, I think, almost better at this point, with our current list of partners anyway, to to have them be invested both monetarily, but also personally in, in the success of it. And in order to do that, I think that we've founded a brand where people really do want to be friendly, get to know their customers, know a lot about the product, support their local events and businesses and communities and all of those kinds of things. So I guess the training specifically is both technical, like how to set up a cart, how to run your point of sale, how to keep inventory. But then it's also a lot about our core values and just doing the right thing when you're out on the streets. 
being friendly to people. Nick, you mentioned that you you have a, a business partner, your brother, and you know business partnerships are never never easy, and particularly uh, with a family member. So explain, help us understand the dynamics of that relationship, and how would you describe your role within the organization, and what is his role within the organization? Sure. So I would say from the beginning, or from knowing him my whole life. Stephen is certainly more of the creative and the idea. And in our case, he's literally called the visionary. So that uh, is what he is for our company. He's our visionary and is thinking, you know, years down the road. And then I'm more of the implementer or integrator. And, you know, that would be like operations, process, finance type, type roles. And that's what I've stuck with most of, of the time here. It's not to say like every small business owner that we both haven't done everything. You know, I've certainly made uh, pops. I've sold caterings. I've been lucky enough to be on movie sets and meet meet people and hand out pops. And you know, had to also fire people and deal with the IRS and all that kind of stuff too. So, um, but generally speaking, he's the visionary. I'm the integrator, and I think that's worked well for us over the years. Um, working with family, I guess maybe another story, but similar. I think, you know, we are yin and yang to some extent. We are different enough where I think we complement each other's characteristics and skills and, and all those kinds of things. And I think we've been fortunate enough where we can get mad at each other. We can have an argument. We can totally disagree about stuff but come back the next day and know that we're both fighting for the greater cause. So I think that's been really nice to know that we do we genuinely have each other's back and best interest at heart. Don't ever have to question that. And another thing that I think we've done well over the past five or six years, certainly, is just dividing up our tasks. And so ultimately, most decisions are not decisions that are made by both of us. They're made by one of us and maybe run by the other person or just updated the other person. Because if you're both trying to make every decision, that's a, it's a difficult thing. So like I said, I focus on the operations, the finance, and now the distribution company, P10 Foods. He's focused more on the marketing, the creative, King of Pops branding, and the strategy there. I guess another fun fact is that our parents have also both been involved. So my mom is still our collections um, person. Yes, and I love she, it. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to call and yell at our, our customers. Yell and pay them like, pay my boys, pay my boys. You better. <laughs> so um, that's pretty fun. And then like I mentioned at the top, my dad has been in uh, food sales for his whole career. So he was with Hormel for, I think, 34 years or something like that. And so he also became a salesperson with us for a while. He's truly retired now and hasn't really checked in in a while. But it is funny whenever he wanders into a store that has King of Pops, he still lines them up on the shelf for us and asks them why, why they aren't buying more. So everyone's involved. I love that. I love truly a family business. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Nick, like, like most businesses, I'm, I'm sure when you, when you went into King of Pops, you and your brother took some sort of leap of faith thinking you had something special, but maybe not quite sure. At, at what moment in your business's life did you think to yourself, man, this is actually, this is going to turn into something? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So it's kind of funny. Um, my dad is is a fairly stoic person, I guess, or maybe just not unemotional. I don't know. Maybe those are the same thing. But at any rate, uh, he wrote me a letter when I quit my my law job 
to say that he thought I should stick with it and that the the legal path was a good one and that had a lot of opportunity ahead. And little did he know it, I had already quit and made my, my decision and my two-week notice was in. You know, he couldn't be prouder now. And that wasn't the point that I knew we were going to make it. But I think that was a leap of faith, at least, to um, know that I was going to be involved, at least until until I couldn't be. But I do think the point where I felt comfortable enough or we felt comfortable enough to to step back and, and let the business run on its own somewhat was about, I think, I can't remember if it's the third year. It must have been the third year. But my mom was turning 65 and we had a family trip planned um, to celebrate. And uh, we had never both been away at the same time, I guess, for fear that the whole whole place was going to burn down or something. But yeah, we, we both went on that trip together and had a great time and came back and everything was great. As far as I remember, the sales were either on on par or above what whatever they usually were. And all the cash was there, nothing was missing. So I think that's when we realized that building those systems and building trust in, in the people that we're surrounding ourselves with is really the way forward. And I think ever since we've done that, not to say that we haven't worked weekends or, you know, still had the pedal to the metal, but I will say that over the past, I don't know, two or three years, it's more of a choice. And if I want to go away for a week or a month, it's not that big of a deal. And, and the, the business is still um, running itself. And that's a really good feeling. Nick, you mentioned EOS and uh, the book Traction written by Gino Wickman. I'm seeing that more and more companies that are implementing that or something similar to that. What led you all to adopt that and what impact has that had on your business? Yeah, so we first picked up the book. I think Stephen read it first about five or so, five or six years ago. Um, and we tried to self-implement it first. And so we took um, some small pieces away from it. We took the level 10 meeting, which is kind of the weekly cadence. We took the scorecard. And we took maybe rocks, which are kind of the 90-day priorities or goals. And um, beyond that, we kind of left the rest of it there. And, you know, it somewhat stuck, but not really. And so about maybe a year and a half or two years in, we decided to get a, an EOS implementer to help us. And I think that's really where it, where it started to take off. I guess taking a step back, my brother was in EO at the time, so he was in that forum as well. And I believe just a forum, I don't know, peer, I guess, recommended the book and and he read it and liked it. And like I said, he's the visionary and whatever he reads last is, is the best way forward. And so that was the best way forward at that time. Um, fortunately, it stuck. And um, here we are, you know, six years later, still running it. And I think it just is such a back-to-basics way of running a business where you can always have just like a bit of, big, bit of a handbook to refer to whenever you have a question about kind of what you can be doing, whether it's around the accountability chart or the quarterly conversations or you know how many items are on a scorecard or whatever. And there's recommendations for all of it. Whether you follow them all you know, verbatim is kind of up to you, which is nice. But yeah, I think probably like all things in business, you know, we had flows in and out of it. And most recently, we started using a software that's related to it called 90. And I think that's really helped us because we're a, a tech tools heavy organization, really like our, our tech and um, being able to do that instead of having to keep it on Google Sheets or whatever was uh, really helpful for us. So 
it's been a success and I think it just helps our focus remain where it needs to be. Taking a step back and, and thinking about your company's history. So I think we got it right at the beginning of the podcast that we have, not we, <laughs> you have. We're all part of the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's kind of you. Uh, we have, you have King of Pops, uh, King of Crops, Trios, King of Pups, which I almost forgot, and P10. So was that always part of the, the business plan to, to expand like that? Or did it just come out of opportunity? Yeah, I think it was mostly opportunity. I mean, the business plan, if you want to call it that, was to make enough money selling pops each week so that we could pay rent and buy a few burritos. So that was that was the original business plan. And I think um, as we saw opportunity, then then we continued to expand into new operations. And I think some good examples of that are Pizza and Foods, which is the distribution company, or uh, Tree Elves. Both have pretty interesting stories. So Tree Elves, I was visiting my older brother. He was in LA at the time, went out there for Christmas. And I had another friend was hanging out watching, I don't know what it was, just a movie, I guess, or something before Christmas. And a little elf or a surfer dude with pointed ears uh, brings this small like bush and sets it on his table and said, Merry Christmas, this is your Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And so we took that idea back with us and you know started Tree Elves. And the reason that it made sense for us wasn't that it was a good business, but it was an opposite business to what we had. And so we were super busy in the summer. We were, you know, working 80 hours a week and, you know, the opportunities seemed endless at that point. But in the winter, it really dialed back to nothing. And so we always had what we called surf break, which was a month long vacation for all of employees. But beyond that, you know, cash got pretty scarce. And then uh, tax time comes around in April and scarce cash. That's a scary time. So we needed to make some money in the winter. And the way to do that, since we did have the infrastructure, we had trucks, pickup trucks for delivery. We had um, employees that, you know, both wanted to work and like the company were ingrained. And so, you know, for the six weeks of Christmas tree sales in the winter, we all turned into elves and, you know, it lined up well. We could sell a few pops along with it too. So mm-hmm. that was certainly opportunistic. But it also served a business need where we could keep people on payroll. We didn't have to retrain and we could uh, generate some cash flow in the opposite season. With P10 Foods, not quite as opportunistic, but more out of we didn't like the food distribution model that is the the traditional one. Basically, the, the large distributors have all the power. And when we were with them, you know, we wouldn't know where our product was being sold and what quantities. If we wanted any information, we had to pay for it. And then there were also required fees like being in the catalog or if you delivered something out of hours, there was a fee for that or whatever. And so it just kind of got old and it wasn't a big enough part of our business. And at the time, I was part of a group, or I guess I am still part of a group with Atlanta food manufacturers and everyone always had questions or thoughts or uh, gripes about their distributors. And so either we were had enough gumption or enough stupidity to start a um, food distribution business with with no knowledge of it. But it's surviving and actually thriving right now. Um, through COVID, it, it was what really held on because people were buying a lot more in grocery stores and markets than they were on the streets. Hmm. So I think that was a lucky, you know, happenstance, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, the same with King of Pups. The reason that we started or got into that business was there was a company called Lickalots. It was in Inman Park, which is a part of Atlanta. 
And they had this warehouse that we really liked. And we saw some synergy with frozen treats. And so we, we just bought that business actually because the um, founders were trying to exit. There were health problems and things. And so we renamed it and got the warehouse and you know, we have continued to make it for, for 10 years. And I think it makes a lot of sense because if we're providing treats to, to humans, why not provide them to dogs too? I mean, people spend a lot of money on their dogs. It's a big market. So yeah, I think we kind of look at all of those things as opportunities. And I'm sure you've heard, I, I don't know who who's coined it, but there's certainly a lot of shiny things out there too that we sure. try to say no to. We're sometimes bad at saying no to. But our vision that we that we wrote in 2014, I believe, was a 15-year vision. So where we wanted to be in 2030. And it does help us as kind of a North Star mm-hmm. uh, whenever we get lost on, on what we're truly trying to do. And so I guess a shout out to Zingerman's and Zing Train up in Ann Arbor. We traveled up there to uh, learn from Ari and Maggie and uh, that crew and forever grateful for, for all that they've helped us learn over the years. As a follow-up to that, you've kind of alluded to it, but is there a, a market or space that you could see the, the business going in the future without giving away your, your strategic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think the distribution business is continuing to be very important for a couple of reasons. One, we can roll out products as King of Pops really easily, and we have a built-in market with a lot of trust. And so, you know, we have probably... Right now, probably 750 or so active customers in the distribution business. And uh, the amount of trust that we've built from them over the past five years is pretty great. So if we roll out a new flavor or a new format or a new product, like say the dog treat, we have that built-in business. So I think we'll continue to develop that as a platform to both trial new products and you know put new things into market in, a, in an easy space. And then like we talked about earlier, the neighborhood partners and making that, I guess, more of a buttoned up, um, either authorized reseller or franchise model uh, going forward could be something interesting and make the business more scalable. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast truly matters to small business. Our guest today is the co-founder of King of Pops, Nick Carsey. Nick, Nick, uh, the brand King of Pops is very popular in Atlanta. It seems like see it in a lot of different places. And my sense is you've also hand in hand with that brand. There's a culture that supports that. Talk a little bit for us. How did you go about creating both the brand and the culture? How do they fit together? How intentional was that? Yeah, I'd say very unintentional to start, but I think that we have surrounded ourselves with just such great people from the beginning. Our first employee I met at a farmer's market and he was working for another vendor and asked him if he'd come and help us make pops just because we were um, expanding. He ended up working for us or with us for five years. Hmm. And I mean, we've, we've had stories like that over and over throughout our time. I think we have provided a space that's really inclusive and open and able to be fun and accessible by anyone. And so if you're a person coming in from the suburbs with your family, that's fun. You get to go and check out what's going on in Atlanta, and it's a special treat. If you're coming in from out of town you know, to see your best friend, they want to show you King of Pops because, again, it's an affordable luxury. It's accessible. It's... Um, it's pretty tasty and it's not going to break the bank. 
Same thing. I think I think people in Atlanta specifically and in the other cities we're a part of. So we have really good presence in Charleston and Charlotte, Nashville and Richmond. And all those places have a little sense of ownership in the company. And so they're just proud of it. They're proud to see a, a small business succeed and um, kind of go in full circle back to the beginning. It's something that they can like imagine you know, themselves running. They can imagine it being successful and they can imagine what the business actually is. And so I think that's been a big part of it. I mean, to speak to the culture a little bit more specifically, we're full of, you know, rainbows and animations and um, I'm wearing tie-dye right now. It's just like kind of all part of it. And it's been a pretty relaxed atmosphere. We do care about process. We do care about food safety. We do care about efficiency. We do care about profitability. But at the end of the day, uh, going back to our purpose to create unexpected moments of happiness, that's really where we get our joy. And so for me personally, going from a place where I was a prosecutor and probably seeing people on their worst day to putting a smile on their face, which, you know, it's tough to eat a popsicle, not in a good mood. It's really nice. And it's just something that, that fills me with joy and uh, keeps it going on. So I think that translates to our employees just to be able to spread the happiness and, and see kids and, and their parents and their grandparents smiling all together and enjoying their, their friends and their camaraderie and their neighbors has been, has been really nice. So I think we attract the right people for those reasons. Congratulations on that. So Taylor, we've gotten to your favorite part of the, of the program, the rapid fire questions. Nick, the way this works is uh, Taylor's going to ask you some some rapid fire questions. You're expected to answer. I'm keeping score. I'm betting on you. Taylor, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. All right. Just keep getting more and more competitive. I didn't I didn't realize I was signed up for this, but uh, I didn't anyway, realize our- it was a competition either. I just thought it was some questions. <laughs> so you got to have a little bit of drama, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, so Nick, I know we've talked a little bit about traction. So I'm, I'm curious what other one or two business books would you recommend to our listeners? To Sell as Human by Dan Pink. I mean, just a great sales book all around. And then E-Myth, I think, for those process-oriented people. Uh, Michael Gerber, I believe. Excellent. You mentioned a little bit uh, about taking time off uh, here and there for business. Um, when you have the chance, what's your favorite spot to get away and, and recharge the batteries? Oh, wow. So many. I've been lucky enough to travel uh, quite a bit in my life, probably surfing on the west coast of Nicaragua in the Pacific. Um, still like somewhat undeveloped, easy to get to, and yeah, beautiful. Excellent. You've also mentioned that your company uses a variety of tech tools um, what are some of your favorites and, and ones perhaps you would recommend to our audience? Um, so we've been using Deer Inventory for a while. That's our inventory management system. It's been great. We use HubSpot for our marketing and CRM uh, for a number of years. That's been really great. Um, we use Zero for accounting. And I think that's kind of been the, the spine or the backbone rather uh, of the business. Those have been good. And then like I mentioned, going back to EOS, we started using 90, which is a way to organize your all the all the components of EOS are are visible and known to the entire organization. So, so those are some of the great ones. I'm sure this is like picking your favorite family member, but do you have a favorite flavor of popsicle? Um, depending on the time of year, it's either fruity or creamy. If I'm going fruity because it's hot out, then blackberry ginger lemonade. If it's creamy because I'm looking for some dessert, it would be banana pudding. Mm. Excellent. 
And aside from the questions, I saw on your website that I think there's a flavor called lemonade basil. I'm curious oh, if you yeah. can describe that. Well, uh, that's the description, what you just said. So if you can imagine basil <laughs> with lemons. Uh, yeah, but, but we have a farm called King of Crops, like you mentioned earlier, west of Atlanta. And we grow a lot of basil and, and herbs out there. And so um, that's where the, the basil is sourced from. And then the, the lemons are, I don't know, from Florida, I guess. But the flavor description, I would say tangy, herbal, and uh, very refreshing. For lack of better words, I don't know. I don't know how to describe basil other than saying it tastes like basil. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right, and then we'll get you out of here on our favorite question, rather my dad's favorite question, is who plays Nick in the movie about Nick's life? Oh wow, what a fun question, right? <laughs> um, I think I think someone that would be good would be, I don't know. I, I guess John Hamm is coming to mind. Hmm. Um, ah. can can be kind of a, a businessy, can be kind of fun, can be scary at moments, I guess, too, depending on the role. Kind of tall, but yeah. Good choice. Guy Good too. answer. Yeah, very nice. nice. Well, Nick, you're, you certainly came out of this one, the winner. Uh, Taylor, there, there'll be another day. There'll be another day. <laughs> but, uh, Nick, I'm sure that some of our listeners uh, will be interested in reaching out to you. What's the easiest way for someone to contact you? Just head on over to kingofpops.com. Um, that's probably the best. You can link there to, to P10 Foods or King of Crops or King of Pups or any of our other brands. You can also check us out on Instagram, just at King of Pops, uh, Facebook at King of Pops, Twitter at King of Pops. So wherever you want to find us, hopefully it's easy. But yeah, kingofpops.com would be the number one go-to. Thank you, and pleasure to have you with us, Nick. And Taylor, I might have mentioned this earlier that uh, Nick had agreed to speak at the Small Business Matters Conference the 2020, which, of course, has gotten rescheduled. We're hoping to come back in 2022. And Nick, if you're available, would love to have you uh, come speak at that event for us. I'll be there. The calendar's still open for 22. <laughs> Good. So Taylor, I've got a page of notes. I thought really interesting how the business got started, the family aspect of the business, the fun aspect of the business. And, and that's a lot of very, very intentional. The pivot last year, going from a employee heavy company, administrative heavy company, to one that's now looking to work through partners, through community partners. A lot of businesses last year, as difficult as COVID was, you know, were hesitant to make that that pivot that change in in business uh, organization and and Nick described really well I think the, the reason for doing that and I think it's going to turn out real real well how about for you Ta uh, Taylor what takeaways do you have not so much notes but just really enjoyed kind of hearing the story and, and learning more about Nick and his brother's business and really just uh, impressed with some of the I'm sure difficult decisions that were made. Uh, not only during COVID, but but throughout the business's history, uh, to to scale and to make things more efficient and to to maintain the vision and the brand. So, uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. All right, couple quick announcements, Taylor. Before we sign off, any of our listeners that are not already receiving the Small Business Matters newsletter, easy to subscribe. Just visit our website at smallbusinessmattersonline.com. Taylor, our next boot camp is going to kick off in August. I think it's August 
26th, the Small Business Matters Bootcamp, if any of our listeners are uh, interested in that. I think that's anything that I've left out. Any announcements? Uh, no, other than we have a number of podcasts scheduled for the next few weeks, and so we're hoping to turn more out. So I want to encourage our listeners to please rate and review and subscribe to the Small Business Matters podcast. And I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. Again, it's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters.